Coming up, part two of the two-part Sunday extravaganza with Priscilla. What's next? This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed part one of the two-parter with me and Rosilla, we broke down Sixers, Celtics, game four as well as some LeBron stuff, some sports media stuff. It was a good one. This is part two. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Rosillo, it is 8.35 p.m., Sunday night, just watched Denver Phoenix, ended about 45 minutes ago, took a little break, regrouped, thought of some storylines, some things we could talk about. I'm going to start here. I think that was the best game in the playoffs. It wasn't the most dramatic. Um, I don't think it, it was, it didn't have like the memorable kind of, oh my God, oh, it's that game, but just start to finish, entertainment, the shot making, the talent on the floor, your guy Shamit coming in. The Ishbia versus Jokic thing. Jokic has 51 and 11 and loses 53 and 11. Uh, that's everything I want from a playoff game. I loved it. Two thumbs up. So you're saying you enjoyed that one more than the earlier one today? Yeah, I did. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> uh, that third quarter is all time stuff. All time stuff. Like, I don't know if anything will ever, like, it depends on how young you are in those different moments and Jordan games. Bird, Dominique, but like the idea that I could even suggest that third quarter being in the Bird, Dominique showdown thing of the 80s, like yeah. that's what that was special. That was special stuff. And there's a much bigger Booker conversation I can't wait to get into. But to see Katie and Booker on one side go against Jokic, where nobody's missing, everybody's making the right play. There's some defensive stuff I want to ask because I don't even know if I know the answer, but that third quarter was special. Booker was so hot that at one point they double teamed him and he measured it. And he's like, there's two guys on me. 
I'm shooting the three anyway and just drain like a 26 footer with four arms kind of facing him. Uh, Booker is so special that we start there. We have a whole little mini segment. No, I, I, I think, I think we have to start with just the Jokic piece of, um, one of the things that makes him special for me. I know he lost, but he can do these different things depending on the game that I think is a quality that the greatest players of all time have where he could, oh, you, we're going to do this this game? All right. I guess I'll have to score 50 points. Or they could be like, oh, you're playing me this way? Oh, I guess this will be the game where I have 13 assists and then 10 other passes that lead to free throws. I just love the shots that they get over and over and over and over again with him. I thought he was just exceptional in this game because in any normal circumstance, it's a home game for Phoenix. Their two best guys have 72 points. They get this crazy bench performance. They shoot almost 60%. Denver shouldn't have even been in the game. This should be, just should have been a 20-point blowout. And Jokic was so good. He he just kept the Nuggets hanging around. And it's just, Sarudi and I were talking before you hopped on the Zoom or so. I was just like, yeah, look, it's a regular season award. And Bede, I'm okay with the fact that I voted for him. But I just think Jokic is the best player in the league. And I, I, I don't think it's really arguable at this point. Yeah, I, I knew. I mean, this is obviously coming um, because I have those moments too where I'm at home. I'm like, you, you don't actually think and beats better than this guy, do you? And I don't know how you watch, you know, like, I don't know, it just kind of sucks that it turns into this all, all of a sudden. So maybe I'm going to stop myself from doing it. But Jokic, yeah, I didn't even mean did, to bring up the yeah. comparison thing. I just think night to night, this guy's the best player in the league now. He just is. Yeah. And he didn't win the MVP um, because he didn't care the last month, you know, and yeah. who knows? You know, Embiid went on an absolute tear. So I don't I don't watch this game like we were joking about the PVSD segment in the past but i'm like hey this is this these are two different things these are two different things and, yeah you know it's like watching deshaun watson in, in a title game for clemson and it's like oh i can't believe this guy didn't win the heisman and you're like that's not that's not the point that's not the point of the award like hey i wonder if this guy in the last game when everybody else is at home will have an awesome game so anyway uh or or like mahomes in the playoffs where it's the same thing where it's like oh yeah mahomes is the best guy in the league and we kind of have to yeah, remind right. ourselves you know right right so when I when I watch Jokic in this spot, because I mean you're right, the, the part of him that's so amazing is controlling the game without shooting. Like you'll see games that he's absolutely dominating. And you're like, wait, he went two for three that quarter. You're <laughs> right. like, how? What? What? Did I, like, did I miss a play? Do I have to go back? For, what's going on? And then you see certain games, rarely from him like this, where it's like, I think I got to go. And then if you're Phoenix. And you're thinking it's this awful quandary. It's like Steve Nash, you know, on a on a transition possession where you go, do I close out to him or do I help to him? Do I come off to help? Like, what do I do? And Nash at some point made a living on these open layups because nobody wanted to help off of anybody. So it was yeah. like his vision made his drives easier because everybody was afraid to get burned. And there's a lot of that. And Jokic has that kind of running like 10 foot floater coming off the foul line toward the basket that he just makes from every angle. So if you're, if you're just guarding everybody's like, cool, I'm just going to make this eight footer right here. Right. So if you, if you send help the same way with LeBron, like LeBron figures out your help, the great ones do this all the time. If you're going to be leaving people with Jokic, you know, you're going to get burned at some point. At same, some point too. The only thing that I would wonder and, I don't say this because I think I know the answer because I don't know what the team's help rules are, different stuff, is that tonight, specifically, I thought they did make it way too easy for him. He made all the shots. He was incredible. I'm not going, ah, it was an easy 53. But 
Phoenix, when they watch this, despite evening the series at 2-2, they have to think there's more stuff that they could do. Like if Gordon's in the corner, you've got to show some help. If you're playing in between, take a step at him. Like think about it. Now, granted, he's so big and his hands are so good that it's really not going to change all that much. How about the and one jumper he hit on Booker when Booker got him in a switch and he just chucked it up and fell With forward. the one hand. Yeah, yeah and, got, and and it went in and he gets the free throw. So he's incredible. There's, there's no real slowing him down. And... I totally understand a coaching staff going, hey, we want to stay home everywhere. We want to stay home everywhere. But I noticed specific possessions tonight where it's like, look, if he's going to be driving and he's clean on one side, like that can't happen. There was one time where it was Durant and Aiton both on him, double teaming him on the drive, but they were both on the same side. So it didn't really even matter. So his left hand was clean. He can finish with either hand. Um, it's it's so impressive, uh, you know, knowing too that like LeBron at his peak, if he wanted to get 40 a game, he could, but he knows that's probably not the best way to go about it. And clearly the results for their regular season back it up. There's not a lot of players in the history of the league who could have gone toe to toe with the Suns combo tonight and kept their team in the game. Like the, just period. The list of guys who could have kept their team in the game is probably less than, I don't know, 12 or 15. And on the flip side, the Durant Booker thing where Denver tonight is, they basically say, you know what? You guys can't get, 86 again. They basically make that decision somewhere around the tail end of the third quarter heading into the fourth quarter. All right, everybody else is going to have to beat us. And Phoenix gets, you know, this crazy shaman game. Ross hits a couple shots and just nobody in the team misses. I always wonder, is like infectious when Booker and KD are playing at the level they're playing at? Does that just transfer to the other guys where it's like, it's like this flame that's just kind of going around? Um, that was the bench performance that they'd been waiting for. With that said, those guys still had 72 points and those guys still shot over 60%. They got Durant was 11 for 19. They made 25 shots or 25 for 37 combined. And they were 17 for 19 from the free throw line. And they had 18 assists. So you have that, that on one end. And then you have Jokic with 53 and 11 assists on the other. And this is like, I, I'm hard pressed to remember like a more high quality offensive performance on both sides. And I don't know what the answers are defensively for either team. Yeah, they could take away Jokic's points, but then all that does is open everything else up. Uh, we also had an iconic shot for Michael Porter Jr., who it was like watching one of the best concerts you've ever been to. And then somebody crashed from, you know, like the, the Smash Mouth drummer lead singer walk, walks out. The second drummer came in is like, here's a song from my solo album. Porter just pulls up. I think they were down three. And Porter, maybe it's five or three, I can't remember. Porter, uh, with like a minute left, just pulls up on a fast break steal situation. And Aiton seemed like he deflected it, but it was just like, a, not now, dude. It was one of those moments. He was bad. Four for 13 in 41 minutes. He did have 10 rebounds. But I do feel like this Denver team, if you're looking for reasons why it's not going to happen for them, the bench on the road would be one thing. And then that Porter piece, which we've talked about on multiple podcasts, right? What do you get from this guy? Can he really be like the third guy? Or is this just like a hit or miss role player, basically? That, like somebody who could hit 25 in the right game, but then other times has games like today. They might be a half guy short, I guess is my point. Yeah, all fair about Porter Jr. I'd put him on a list of 10 players that can make the most impossible shots in the NBA and at his size to be able to do some of the stuff that he does when it's right. You're like, this is incredible. And he had games against Minnesota where I felt like I looked up and went, wait, Porter's out there. 
Uh, and yeah. then he would have like three threes and a dunk in the fourth quarter. And you're like, okay, that's why they have him. Because when it's bad, he's the most expensive spot-up role player in the entire league. You're like, what is going on? I don't think he's always locked in on some of the basketball stuff. Uh, it's certainly not as bad as it used to be. But the Denver road thing is the thing that always made me wonder. Like, I think you and I are both guilty of this where when it's right, you're like, man, maybe they are really good, you know, tape to tape pretty much one seed the whole time. And I was like, yeah, but how many teams that are really, really good are below 500 on the road? And, you know, I don't, you get, you get an all timer in game three from those two guys. And then it's basically Jokic trying to duel two top 10 players and Durant and Booker. And who knows what we're going to do with Booker when this is all said and done with this playoff run. Uh, it might just go seven and Denver will win that seventh game at home. You know, that's, it's almost could be an old school. The home team wins all seven. Maybe. I mean, unless you're going to lock into 17 from Shamit. I mean, the bench part of this is crazy because Monty Williams is like, Oh, you're on the team. Okay. Uh, he was a DNP. Now, granted, I obviously I'm kidding, but I just, it's so crazy to watch him try to figure out this rotation stuff on the fly. Still, um, look at bench points here for Phoenix, 24, four points. Phoenix's bench in the game two loss played 71 minutes and had four points, 22 points in game three, 40 points in game four. Shamit was a DNP in game two. Uh, so I don't know if I'm missing an injury there or what. Tory Craig, who had some no, really think, nice games. Yeah, Tory Craig. A, right? He was a DNP. Like right. Shamit just wasn't playing because he didn't play well this season. Yeah. And, and look, I'm not saying like he was awesome and he was deserved to go. But like, think about Tory Craig was like one of the most solid non star guys for this team in the first round. And now he's a DNP twice, I think. So yeah. Phoenix still trying to figure all these things out. The Aiton story was interesting tonight because he brought him back in. Um, what time? Well, do you it? see, I don't know his love plus minus, but the the Aiton versus Landell plus minus was pretty fascinating. What was it? Plus 16 for Landell in 21 minutes. Aiton was minus 13 in 27. Now, some of that has to do with Landell was out there when Jokic wasn't and things like that. But it was kind of backed up the eye test. It just felt like, they played better when he was out there. Yeah, Aiton came back at 455, which is almost exactly when he was taken out for Landale the second time around. I'll give Aiton this. Um, the two plays on the challenge out of bounds by Denver where they reversed it and Denver got the ball back, Aiton looked like, I am not <laughs> going to watch this ball. I'm going after it. Like yeah. it, it, was, it was days of comments running through his head with the way he went after loose ball, which is not as... And then on the... The oddity of the entire game, like Jokic kind of fumbles that right side little little pass to Murray, and then Aiton gets down on it, ends up being the jump ball. Um, so Aiton had a couple hustle plays there for a guy that deservedly show. Uh, des- I, look, I think it's deserved the criticism of Aiton when it isn't good, but it was just kind of nice to see if you're a Suns fan that you know it almost like he it was almost all of these things were bowling up, and he's like, all right, I at least have to make sure I make plays on these loose balls, and they were huge. One other thing with Phoenix, and, you know, they're banking playoff games with Durant. The new guy energy seems to be dissipating a little bit. Don't you think? It's it's not still 100% assimilation, but I it, they just look a little more comfortable with the Durant Booker. They were running some high screens with them today that I like. Durant played 44 minutes. Booker played 40. I guess that's just how it's going to go. He's going to keep those guys out as much as he possibly can. But, uh, the longer this goes that, that can bank some reps and kind of figure out who they are. One of the things I think they're figuring out slowly is that, uh, 
that the Landau thing is actually, seems like he's a better fit with those guys just because he cuts and he moves and things can happen versus Aiton. I just don't think he's figured out how to play with them. Uh, it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to be different on the road. I don't see Landry Shamit going five for eight from three again. <laughs> you don't know the last and time he made this many threes? I mean, you have to go back like four years, right? No. I don't no, even no. know. When was the last uh, time he had a good game in a playoff took, game? He took 17 threes against Denver on Christmas. Oh, Jesus. Let's, uh, let's do the Booker combo. Because we had a little segment. I MVP? asked you to make a, well, I asked you to make a list of if you were in a playoff series, the guys you would want right now. 2023, that's it. Just who you'd feel the most comfortable with. And the reason for this exercise was, for me, I knew Booker was in the top five in my head. And I just wanted to write down everybody's name and see where I wanted to put him. And one of the things was, I think I have him over Tatum. Because I think he's more consistent. That's it. I don't think he's necessarily more talented. But I think when you get to the playoffs, I kind of want to know what I'm getting every game. And this is why we get so frustrated with people like Anthony Davis and Harden. Because you just, they're like cats. They can jump on your lap or you might not see them for two days. Booker's consistency, I think, really I think people jump special. on Harden's lap. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, Booker's consistency at a position that can be notoriously erratic, even for the greatest players like Kobe. Um, I just know that guy's showing up game to game, you know, and he's, he's, uh, for me, I had him, I have Jokic and Curry. I think Jimmy Butler has to be third and maybe even second if you wanted to have a Curry versus Butler argument. Curry's going to be second for me. But I think after those three, I think Booker's the, the fourth guy you'd want in a playoff series right now. He can create any shot he wants. He can create shots for his teammates. He can play 40 minutes a night. He's been really durable in these games. Um, I love his competitive fire. And I have him over anybody else. So anyway, that was my top four. So your top four. So you went in order. Bill's four. Bill's Mount Rushmore, would you dare? Yeah, it's because it's like just right. It's 2023 right now specific. No, but I have Jokic, Curry, Butler, and Booker, I think, are the four guys right now. And I think... There's a slight drop-off after that to Tatum and Durant and AD. Um, Durant, just because I just don't know if I'm getting eight straight weeks out of him from a durability standpoint at this point. Tatum, I just don't think has been consistent enough, period. And AD is AD. Okay, a lot of different ways to go here. Let's let's do them all, because I'm, I'm fired up to do this. Because Booker, if they were to lose this series, you know how hard it is to have everybody watch you lose in the second round and then go into next year going, hey, is Booker a top five guy? Like, that's what I think Booker's already accomplished, even if this team doesn't beat Denver. Yeah, he's been that good. You're right. Yeah, that's hard to do. Um, you'd also have to have some more playoff flameouts, but they were all mostly, like, Chris Paul took the brunt of most of those anyway. Um, so, you know, Booker, <laughs> no, but seriously, like Booker can no, kind you're, of draft right. little DRS behind Chris Paul stuff there. Uh, the Booker Tatum thing is something I've been thinking about now for a while. Uh, I wouldn't have to think very long about that one. And it's because of that aggression. We want perimeter players to attack even when they shouldn't, right? Like it is kind of annoying that when a guy is taking more jumpers or whatever, we're like, how come you're not going to the hoop? How come you're not going to the hoop? And a lot of times, you know what? That player gets it. Like the end of the Atlanta games where Tatum was getting double teamed at the top, initiating the offense, 
Tatum could have driven. You know what I mean? He took, I think, one shot in that last six minutes. And if they had lost that game, Tatum gets killed for being passive when, in fact, he was doing the exact right thing because Atlanta actually, I thought, made it easy on Boston because their defense was so predictable. They made the right plays. And importantly, they hit the shot, so they win. So we never have to hear, at least for that game, that Tatum didn't have it, even though there's other games I think it's totally fair because it looks like Tatum's off a little bit. Booker somehow finds a way to be the guy that like everyone on their couch at home is yelling at their star to do. Think about that. He is he is like, how come they're not going to the hoop? How come they're not going to the hoop? How come they're not going? that double team that he split was was nuts that he split that thing. I mean, guys can split double teams, some of the best players, but his aggressiveness and the efficiency. This is somebody now who in the last two games, Bill, is 34 of his last 43. He's 79 percent essentially in two must win games down 2-0 in the playoffs. 79 percent. So. This is special stuff, and I'd put him on that list. I think there's an argument to even have have him ahead of Butler because Butler, I think a big part of it is, one, I wouldn't trust his shooting as much as Booker. I think his aggressiveness actually is at Butler's level, and Butler can – look, he he knows the free throw game. Like Butler has the free throw shit down where if you're not paying attention, he's going to get you and make you pay. Booker doesn't even have to do that. Booker can drop 30 on you without having to live at the free throw line for the night. And, you know, look, I know it's crazy after what Butler did against Milwaukee, but I I just think I just like Booker better. Two words you used, aggressiveness and efficiency. I would also throw in the word patience. Like that play when he got double teamed and shot the three anyway was a good example, right? He's just so comfortable all the time. He's got two guys on him and most people are like, shit, I got two guys on me and, you know, start. And he's just like, I got two, two guys on me. And he just kind of solves it. There's been a lot of like high level solving from him. The consistency though is incredible. He, first of all, he's averaging 37 a game now in nine playoff games. And like, even when I was doing my book, 12 playoff games to me is the cutoff for, that's not just the sample size. Like if you're doing anything for 12 plus playoff games, you know, like LeBron in 2009, I think he averaged like 35 a game and it felt like it. He was like 35, 10, and 9 in the two, when they lost to Orlando that year. It was just night after night. He was bringing it. Booker's nine games down, 37 a game, but he's gone 26, 38, 45, 30, 47, 27, 35, 47, 36. So his low number is 26. He's shooting six, he shot 60% in round one against Clippers. He's shooting 63.7% in this series. Um, the, you mentioned the free throws. Like, it feels like he goes to the free throw line a lot more than he actually does. It's like, I don't know, six, but they're always like in the right spots. And then the three-point shooting, he was 46.7 last round, 57 this round. This is like now becoming historical stuff. This is, like, if he finishes the series like this, whether it goes six, seven, whatever. Well, he's not going to be 79% two more games. But but I'm saying if he's like around 35 to 37 points a game, I don't see him going cold, I guess is my point. And if he's somewhere in the vicinity of these numbers by the time this series ends, this will be on like the handful of playoff performances. It really will. It'll be like whatever list they'll go, they'll be like, and then, and then Devin Booker in 2023. But the thing to me is I don't feel like he's like smoking hot. I don't feel like it's fluky. Like he gets awesome shots, right? Doesn't I never I never like ooh bad one like Tatum will just take bad shots sometimes you're like ooh what was that ah pull up or you know the drive into the lane where he lurches like everything Booker does is so in control anyway he's been I think the breakout 
kind of superstar of these playoffs where I think he's gone up a level, at least in my head. And I, I think you think that. I think most people would say like, yeah, I feel a little differently about Devin Booker right now. Yeah, the Tatum stuff started happening, I would say, a month ago because I'd asked two different guests in the podcast. And I was like, you know what? I think I'd, I think I'd rather him, which, you know, we're talking about slotting guys in six, seven or eight yeah. or five, six, seven. But what I love about his development is that, you know, we already know the draft pick story taking 13th. You're like, oh, wait, they might have something here. You know, his rookie mm. year, he gets 14 a game. The weird thing is, is he didn't really shoot lights out from three. Like it wasn't. It wasn't at the level of some of the other guys you'd think of as like a big time three point shooter. Like he's only 36 for his career. He lit it up last year. He's 35%. But the more important thing I think to him developing this game that's really important now, Chris Paul not being there, is there were stretches where he initiated all the offense based on what the roster was around him when it wasn't very good. And I'll admit, even back then, I was like, hey, if this guy's so nice, like he's never even getting to the playoffs. Well, now all that part of it is irrelevant, even though at the time I thought it was kind of like true about his standing in the league. But he had to basically play point guard. He's had to play uh, the number one option. He has moments here where if they do a hard double on Durant, which seems weird when they're running Booker and Durant on the same side and they'll double off a Booker on a Durant catch, you're like, hey, you guys got to figure out something else there like there was one play where they had a hard double it wasn't a hard double Durant was on the right side they doubled him he kind of got away from it and then Gordon like went to show to Durant a little bit and you know we were talking about some of the Yoka rules I'm like if you want to show off Eric or Aaron Gordon fine if you want to show off of you know KCP that might be a little dicier but if you're Aaron Gordon, like right now with Booker what he's done for two games can you can you show off of him and so there's there's parts of his game that you can just see how well-rounded it is. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the massive ups and downs of who he's been because of what's been around him as well. And look, you know, like I said, there was a stretch there where he was the number one guy. And guys were like, oh, he's better than this guy. He's better than that guy. I wasn't sure. There was a top 10 push for him because that those are the stupid rules that we have when they're making the finals run two years ago. You know, people trying to compare him to Kobe and all that kind of stuff, which is blasphemy. But what he is doing right now, uh, and I do think he's the rare case of if they were to lose this series, which is a very real possibility still, it's only two, two, uh, he would, he would have like gain cred in a world that doesn't want to give it out to anybody that loses. Can I read you the 2015 top 15 draft really quick? Yeah. Towns, Russell, Jaleel Okafor. Porzingis, Mario Hazonia, Willie Cauley-Stein, Emmanuel Moutier. That was I never liked Moutier. Didn't like Moutier. Stanley Johnson, Frank Kaminsky, Justice Winslow, Miles Turner, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker, 13, Cameron Payne, Kelly Oubre Jr. That was our top 15 that year. And Booker goes 13, which yet again goes to show you <laughs> we go nuts about the lottery and who's going to win the lottery and oh my God. And year after year, it's it's like a guy like Devin Booker ends up being the best guy in the draft. And he went 13th. Over Lyles? I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we closed the book on that chapter yet. Uh, look, he yeah, played 20 a, minutes a game for Kentucky. He didn't start. Yeah. You know, he got 10 points a game. Uh, didn't he fit well, your Golden State profile of the his rival's top 100 was pretty high? Right. Wasn't he like a top five or six guy that year? And then his college season wasn't that great. 
Well, that team was loaded, so I'm not. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm not. Uh, no, your thing about how the the pedigree, the yeah, high no, school pedigree thing. I'm looking it up right now. He. Uh, we'll look it up he, and we'll take four, a break. Four star rivals. They had him 29th overall, so that's still pretty high. Hmm, not as uh, high as I thought. Let's uh, let's take a break. I have some more stuff for you. So we didn't talk about the Matt Ishbia Jokic thing. Never has new owner syndrome been hammered home faster. <laughs> Matt Ishbia, he trades for Durant like an hour after he got the team. He comes on my podcast and just throws grenades at Dan Gilbert. And then he gets in this kind of altercation with Jokic that I felt like he provoked. Like just point blank, he, he acted incorrectly. He held on to the ball and like tried to keep Jokic away from getting it. Like he was, what was going on? I, I think he thought he was playing. I th- almost feel like he snapped. Then Jokic shoves him. Some guy behind Ishbia, some big bearded guy, like kind of like tries to shove Jokic. And for a second, it looked like Jokic was going to fight everybody in the corner of the arena, which FYI seemed relatively realistic because it's Jokic. Like Jokic is the only guy who's ever gone after the Boris brothers and really not been afraid of, uh, of just feuding with those guys. Uh, all of it was incredible. I don't, we don't think Jokic is going to get suspended for game five or anything, right? Because that would I have be insane. No, look, I never know anymore with the punishment stuff. Like, I always kind of lean towards whatever I think is reasonable, then add more to it. So, um, would I be 100%? Like, do I think there's a 0% chance of it happening? No. Uh, the way I saw the play. Okay, because there's a couple elements to this. First of all, one of my least favorite things that we see in basketball, I call it the Pat Bev. All right, there's a whistle. The the player on the team that's about to lose possession still has the basketball, and Pat Bev runs over and grabs it away. And then everybody that's a fan of the team of the guy that does the Pat Bev will say, oh, well, he's just trying to get the ball in bounds. Like, first of all, when they're when it's a dead ball and they're sorting through stuff, uh, Matt Ishby was not present, uh, preventing a fast break. Okay, Okogie's wrapped up in the chairs. The yeah. refs, Ed Malloy's at the baseline. Like, they're going to wait. They're not going to let Jokic just inbound the basketball. It's going to be checked. And in that spot, they're going to let the player get back in out of the crowd for a whole safety thing. So I've seen that out there already, that Ishbia was wrong for hanging on to the basketball because Jokic was just trying to start their fast break, which is total bullshit. Okay? That's just not true. Um, but so he was wrong he, to hang on to the basketball. I don't know that Ishbia was hanging on to the basketball because... I don't think he, I don't know if he was doing it to gain some kind of advantage or to be prickly back to Jokic or to just Denver in general, because I think he's looking down at a Kogi going like, oh, and the basketball's just in his hands. So I felt like Jokic went for the Pat he, Bev. He pulled it away though. I mean, Ishbia like after like, Jokic like was like, I, you're right. I mean, I guess you're supposed to just. All right, let's say it's the Knicks game. Let's say like, uh, I don't know, Jerry Ferrara. Has the ball and tries to keep it away from Jimmy. You're gonna send a double the same team situation. You're gonna send a double team to Jerry. <laughs> we, if if Jerry Ferrar did that, would people be piling on Jerry Ferrar like, dude, you're not on the Knicks? What the fuck was that? Oh, he began killed. He began killed. Ishbia, it's like, oh, owner. I, I I just thought I thought it was a really weird move. I've been in situations where the ball has kind of come toward me. Sitting on Must the floor. Nice. Thanks. Um, and your instinct is just to throw the ball back. Like, you don't want it. It's like hot potato. You don't grab it and hold it and be like, hey, oh, oh wait a second. I got to get my time, my team, my chance to reset. That was crazy. And then he stood up 
And he kind of got in Jokic's personal space. I felt like that was why Jokic shoved him. Like, why was he standing up? What was he trying to do? I thought the whole thing was uh, incredibly bizarre. And I love that Jokic shoved him. I just love Jokic. I'm watching it again, man. The ball bounces towards him. They're looking at a Kogi. He just gets up. I don't look at this as Ishbi is trying to keep the ball away from anybody. I really don't. I think Jokic goes over and Pat bevs him. Then he gets the shoulder into him, which, you know, I think Ishbia also flops. The part that's going completely unreported is that Isaiah Thomas is in there going like, look, if I punch Jokic, can I run your draft room this summer? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I Isaiah. Isaiah until like the ninth time. Isaiah right. was a fucking badass, man. He punched Bill Cartwright. Isaiah's he, he, grabbing his jersey. Yeah. Isaiah grabs Jokic's jersey while Bam Bam Bigelow tries to come over the top. Yeah. And I, I look. I, I think Jokic like made it way more than it had to be, and I thought Ishbia flopped, and I hope he doesn't get get suspended. Is this a Jokic was asking for it? Defensive Matt Ishbia. I have I never defend the player that decides to go grab the basket. Now I know everybody's going to say, "Oh, it's a fan, it's whatever," and I'm not even doing the fan owner thing. I don't think Ishbi is trying to keep the basketball. I think he's looking at his player on the ground in the corner. The ball happens to bounce to him. He's holding on to it, and Jokic is going over to grab it for him to then what? Check ball and wait? So it was like a pointless thing that Jokic was doing. That I, all no, the, it wasn't. He's trying to set the tone with the Suns own. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I know he recognized him. He saw him on my podcast. He's Every like, time I, I but, this guy. But this is a pent-up thing of all the nights of watching going, Oh, so the player runs over, and every player knows they're doing it. Look, if Pat Bev is the poster child for it, then yeah, it's that's only a bad sign. It's only an irritant to go ahead and do it. So I know part of the argument would be again, especially you're just going to say like, "Oh, Jokic is trying to get the ball in bounds." It was after a whistle, and a player was in the seats. They were going to stop. Nobody, they didn't deny them a five on four because of this. Incredible and it was a stuff. flop. And it was. A, do you think it was a flop? Ishbia one hundred percent flopped. Um, Matt Reeves is a smart guy. He's rich for a reason. He saw, he also stood up because that was also a smart thing to do. What happens if Jokic gets really mad at him? Like, who knows? Do you think I he was actually them. doing that? Listen, did you research what kind of player he was in in college? Yeah. no. He I, was I, like, he was like the super frisky, like backup walk-on point guard who was like the energy guy and taking charges. And he was like an irritant. That's who he was. So I think I think that like got unleashed. He's sitting on the bench or sitting on the in the court sides, and he kind of feels like he's on the team. And the ball comes. There's Jokic, and all of a sudden he's so kind you, of mixing it up. When you watch the video, you think Ishbi is holding onto the basketball on purpose. Yeah, I like thought he as, was trying. I thought he was trying to be a little bit of a dick. I did. Yeah, I think he's looking at a Kogi, and all this is happening immediately. And he's a basketball player in the ball. Like he's not thinking, how quickly can I get rid of this basketball so that Ed Malloy can check it in? I don't think he's thinking that. Can um, I give you one more piece to this? I want ten if, more pieces. If this escalates, and Jokic ends up in a fight with Matt Ishbia and Isaiah Thomas, the former Detroit Pistons Hall of Famer, is that the weirdest thing that's happened since CR Test melee? Yeah. It has to be, right? That's the weirdest thing since 2004. I, by the way, speaking of our test, I hope someone goes on first take tomorrow. I have, there, there's fan due odds. Oh, for some the candidates? Most like, yeah, most likely the guy to say, so you get mad at our test, but you're cool with Jokic? Be like, eh, might be different. With, or maybe, or they do the, maybe there's a pattern. They show the, the Markeith Morris hit and then Ishbia. It's like, is Jokic out of control? 
I don't blame Jokic for like even the, him going for the ball bothers me more than whatever that elbow is. I'm serious. I, I don't expect that to be a large group of us. Um, <laughs> I like in fairness to you. It's on brand. You've always hated the grab the ball, even though there's no way the point could start. It's always driven you crazy since I've known you. Because it's, it's, it's a point. There's weight. It's effort and energy into doing something. Like, imagine if before a sprint, you sprinted and they were like, okay, cool. We haven't started yet. This for you is the equivalent of me when people try to block shots after the play's dead. Like Kevin Garnett. I don't know how many jumps he wasted in his career that just could have gone toward his NBA career, but then his he finally blew out his knee in 2009. And I wish he had taken back those 1,200 times he jumped for no reason to block some shot after the whistle to, I guess, not give somebody the mental uh, memory of a shot going in. I, I yeah, just the, never understood right. the logic of that. The idea like, is oh, that... Man, that'll screw him up. If they don't feel like it's going through, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, hey, one went down. And they can never go on a streak. I, too, hate it. Um, didn't somebody blow out his ACL doing it, too, once? No, but Tony Allen got hurt doing the dunk after the whistle when he followed through. There was a foul, and he just decided, I'm going to follow through and do this dunk, and he blew out his knee in the Celtics. I love when a team's down 30 and a guy does it. And you're like, oh, so you're going to be energized now. Yeah. <laughs> Now right. you're gonna it, now you're gonna play with some effort. It's like the first down point when you're down twenty eight to three with four minutes left. The guy gets like the twelve yarder for the first down. Can we bring in Sarudi? Sarudi, are you still awake? What up? What up? All right, be the tiebreaker. Was that Ishbia's fault or Jokic's fault? I lean towards you, Bill. I thought Ishbia knew what he was doing. I and listen, he was great on the pod. Seemed like an awesome dude. The ratings are very high after he went on with you. But I think I don't know. I don't think he's completely innocent in this scenario. I don't. I'm, I if, if we're doing like blame pie, you know, I don't think blame pie. Blameless. Yeah, I know Rosillo loves blame pie. Uh, but I was a sixty forty Ishbia. Blame pie. Yeah, I'm gonna go seventy thirty Ishbia. I'm not sure Jokic needed to put that much into the elbow, but I also think he thought it was just some fan that was trying to fuck with the game and it made him mad. But you guys are out of your mind. I'm watching it again <laughs> right now. Ishbia is totally turned. The ball lands on him. He's an athlete. So now the ball's in his hands. It's a comfort feeling for him. And he's checking on his player. Oh God, that just Ishbia got... excuses. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think Ishbia flopped. And I think we got a little plumber's crack from him on one of the angles. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. How about this? Is this better or worse than when Mark Cuban, during a dust-up on the court, ran on ran. to see if the refs needed help breaking up the fight? <laughs> that was still, the, that was the lowest owner moment. Remember? And then he, he realized he did the wrong thing and he, like, scurried back. That was great. Because um, he, he did, like, the refs turn and look at him and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And Cuban... Cuban kind of goes like, hey, I was just checking, like, see if you guys need any backup or anything like that. Um, I do think that these owners feel like they're on the team in the game. I think especially if they're relatively new, it takes them a while to realize, like, they're not actually playing. There needs to be some calmness. I think they lose their mind for the most part. That'd be my take. Saruti loves Ishbia now. Came on the pod. He was great. He almost got in a fight with Nikola Jokic. 
Yeah, I guess Mike Malone after the game too, he was like, yeah, some fan <laughs> was messing with him. He didn't even realize it was the owner, which is incredible. And then I think a reporter told him, he's like, I don't give it, I don't care. I don't care. So Rudy, where do you have Booker in the top playoff guys rankings? Seen the top four or was that too high? No, I think that's legit. I think the conversation was that he or Tatum. I think, I, you know, I, I think you have to give it to Booker right now. He, he's he's what everybody like. If you're like, hey, I'm shooting my driveway. You want to be Devin Booker. That's that's who you want to model your game after. He's so smooth. Have you he's emotionally? Top, he's top driveway guy for you. I think so. Yeah, top driveway guy. Is that a list? Yeah, what like a great Jokic, list oh yeah, driving by. Jokic is top YMCA guy. You know, he's just that's he's he has the YMCA game and body, and and Booker's top uh, driveway guy. What's Marcus Smart? <laughs> <laughs> top you like him guy top, you flopping in the in the pickup game guy yeah that guy that's like we don't have a I ref mean, there's no reason to flop yeah, there's, no, there's no there's no calls hey Just that the ball call, back that call and everyone forward you're not getting any of them so Rudy have you emotionally reconciled the DeAndre Ayton to Orlando trade that's going to happen this summer when it's Wendell Carter and like a pick swap and something like some other thing you, you okay with that this is year two of me telling you this trade is not going to happen. Wendell Carter, he's given the contract, is a better asset than, than Aiton. And Isaac will be healthy. I just saw somebody sent me an Isaac trade. Uh, people love sending me Isaac trades. I'm still not selling my stock. I want him back next year. Can yeah. he opt out? No. No, they have an out, I believe. They right. have the opt out. Yeah. But no, I, I'm Wendell Carter Jr. number one fan. When, I honestly think the Suns would be better if they had Wendell Carter Jr. than DeAndre Ayton. I actually don't disagree with that. We still probably get more rebounds. Um, all right, should we thanks, do, Rudy. Should we do two minutes on the Chris Paul part of this? The Ewing Theory piece? The fact that he's an absolute Ewing Theory candidate and has never won a title and fits every definition of it and they're playing better without him? That part? Yeah, maybe we'll do it next week. <laughs> what, what, what do you have? I submit, like, once again, four bench points in game two, 40 in game four. The defense rests. Uh, Isaac partially guaranteed for next year. The only thing I would say with the Chris Paul thing is they seem like they're playing a little faster without him. Again, and bench points. If, if Shamit's going to hit open threes when Chris Paul was kind of hit or miss from those threes and the ball is in the hands of Booker and Katie all the time, Maybe not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I don't know. A little bench too points. early for the Ewing theory with it, but I the committee is kind of monitoring. Yeah, no, that's fair. On the might radar. Him, I get it. Doing your prep Might work. send him to game six. Um, okay. Where is Lakers game four? Monday night. I, have we talked about game four of a playoff series? Why it's my favorite game? I can't remember if we ever did this bit. I, I think know. it's the it's the last game of a series where it's not like a must must win for either team, but it's a must win and there's some urgency. The teams have the history now, the previous three games, so they've done the adjustments and now they kind of know what to expect from the other team for the most part. Um, there's a competitiveness to a game four that um, because nobody's like there's no sphincter clenching, there's no like. There's not a weight of, oh my God, if I miss this shot, we might be out of the playoffs. So there's a little bit of freedom with how it's played. And I just think in general, I love game fours. And this Warriors-Lakers game, 
this hasn't really been a good series as interesting as it's been. And we've had moments of brilliance from both sides. And the fourth quarter of the Warriors-Lakers, I thought was really good. But for the most part, they haven't really been able to sync when both of them are playing well at the same time, like we saw with that Suns-Nuggets game today. And I just feel like this is going to be a great game. And I know that's a weird thing to say. I have no, I have no proof. It's like, like I, 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 it's just like a gut instinct for we. These two teams should play a good game, and it hasn't happened yet. There's going to be a real vibe in place. There's enough urgency, but not too much. You know, if you're the Warriors, you need it, but you still have five and seven at home. It's not like a death blow if you lose. If you're the Lakers, it would be great to win, but it's not like completely devastating if you don't win. And I just think, I think these two teams are going to bring the best out of each other on Monday night. Well, we're due. We're due for it. it. It's such a strange series to me. I know we touched on it in the first part, but like you have two teams, as we've established, do completely different things and they're going to do the same different things. And one team looks helpless against the other. And then it just reverses, even though they're not doing anything really that different. I mean, yeah, we yeah. can get into some of the substitution stuff and Vanderbilt playing off of Curry so that they can't switch into somebody else. Um, you know, there's there's little things there. Obviously, the Jamaica Green Looney decision, but for the most part, like who they're who they are. When Golden State's rolling, you're like, oh, the Lakers are not going to be able to hang with them. Like they can't hang with them. Uh, I don't know that anybody looks all that great when Golden State is rolling. But then on the other side, like in Game Three, I felt like that was way worse than Game One for Golden State because it was like you guys just once AD, you know, like AD's never thinking about anybody going to the rim. He's never thinking about anybody. And Golden State's always thinking about AD when they're going at the rim. Yep. He makes those guys look bad. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it would be really tough to beat the Lakers three times in a row if those two guys are healthy because they're so hard to officiate. You're really taking a big risk. Those guys, I would say those are two of like the four hardest guys to officiate in the league. And Philly probably has the other two. Um I guess we'll see. The other game four, Knicks Heat. A Knicks friend asked me this. Is this, this is the biggest Knicks game since when? And I was like, uh, 2013, Knicks, Indiana, round two. Weren't they the one seed that year? Yeah, but but he was like, no. No, the Knicks were never really totally in that series. Like Indiana just kind of, kind of outplayed us. And Hibbert, that was like the Hibbert, Apex Mountain. Um, then it was like, is there was there a, I don't know, like a two thousand early two thousand. Like I literally couldn't come up with an answer, and the answer is probably that Indiana two thousand thirteen series. If you want to go back further, maybe you're talking two thousand one range with the 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 Vince Carter series that the Knicks had. Uh, there haven't been a lot of big games for them. They could. If they somehow swung this game tomorrow, they have five and seven at home. And yet I look at the stats and offensively, you know, I was looking at the playoff stats. Like the Knicks have played eight games. They're the only team out of all the remaining playoff teams that's under a hundred points a game. They're shooting 28% from three. They, um, they're shooting 43% just total. And meanwhile, you have Miami who shoot 48% just for the playoffs. They're averaging 117 points a game. They shoot 39% from three. And if you just took a computer and you just spat those numbers out, you're like, who's going to win game four? I'd be like, oh, 
probably the team that's averaging 18 points a game more than the other team in the playoffs. So it feels like, like Joe House thinks the Knicks are done. Like he thinks they're, he thinks this is a wrap. Miami's better. And I just don't know if I trust Miami to that degree yet. So what, what are your feelings? Uh, speaking of Miami, Miami was the one seed, but the Knicks were the higher seed than the Pacers in that series. I just remember that kind of being like yep. a disappointing thing because I used to defend Melo all the time where I was like, look how often when he lost in the playoffs, like he was always losing to the better team. And then that was like a moment where you go, hey, then even as you're right, as it was playing out, you didn't look at it going, I can't believe the Knicks are blowing this. You know, the Pacers had that nice little run there where they felt like they were the only thing. I don't even know if challenging, you know, some of the series there with Miami were entertaining, but it reminded me a little bit of those Cleveland Toronto things. Like I look, I know DeMar DeRozan, he's not going to go on a podcast and say, yeah, we really weren't that good. Like, I don't think we are ever going to win there. So DeRozan says, if I had stayed, we wouldn't have won a title. Not that Toronto team that I watched that, you know, at one point DeRozan and Lowry are on the bench watching the Cavs stomp them. So that was a circuitous route back to the uh, the next part of this. When it's bad, I think a bunch of things, and I don't know which ones are accurate and which ones are just recency bias. I think Randall's a mess, and I don't think that's recency bias. I think he's a pretty talented player, but when it doesn't go well for him, he completely fucking checks out. And, you know, it was a really nice run two years ago, and then things got sour last year, and he went to this funk, and now he does it on the court. And then it is he impacts. is he first team? I don't like the look on his face. All NBA for you? He's yeah. I think he's he's. And I don't know that he was ever on the radar enough for me to be like okay. But when it's going south, like there's no hints with him. It's awful, and it's and it's a lot of like, you know, he's he's just good enough. Like, and I mean this is like a talented thing. It's kind of like my D'Angelo Russell thing. D'Angelo Russell is just talented enough to get away with doing his own thing in games and it'll work some nights. The problem is he thinks it's going to work more than it's going to. And I think Randall kind of fits that profile where, you know, Randall has some nights where he's dominating in the glass. He's putting the ball on the deck. He's going past guys. He's physical. He's hitting a bunch of threes. And you're like, man, this guy's really pretty good. But in the playoffs, especially against a really smart Miami team where at all times, all five guys know what the other guys are supposed to be doing. You know, that's the strength that I completely overlooked because, again, they just weren't that good this regular season. And it's kind of the selling point of them as a team. But Randall specifically, I don't think it's recency bias. I think he's one of those really talented players that when it's when it's bad, you're like, dude, what what are you who are you playing for right now? Like, what's Remind, what's going on? Reminds me of uh, Antoine early 2000s. Same thing. That's a really when good it, call. When it's bad. Super talented. Yeah, when it's bad, you're like, oh, like those Kmart series that he had against the Nets, like, oh my God, this is awful. Like, I'm going to do this, right? Like, it's still my team, even though it's Brunson's team. But, you know, I got this, I got this. And it's like, yeah, but you don't got it. And yeah, now it's you're a false just, bravado. You're, you're forcing it. And then you don't do all the other, like, hey, if you're not going to be hitting shots, do all the other stuff well. And he doesn't. Uh, the quick You know, thing, it's bad for them. Yeah, ahead. I mean, quick. Well, you know, it's bad for them. There was a story about whether Fournier or Rose would get dusted off for game four. It's like, whoa, we're at that point in the series already? Quickly's been bad the whole playoffs. Like, just bad. And he was somebody that would come in and swing games for them. I was looking at the 2013 Knicks Pacers. And he's, he's doubtful, by the way. Yeah, he's, he sprained his ankle. Um, the league was in bad shape 10 years ago, talent-wise. You could feel it in the moment, but this was that Pacers team that went on to play Miami and beat the Knicks. Paul George, David West, George Hill, Roy Hibbert, 
Lance Stevenson, DJ Augustine, Tyler Hansborough, and Gerald Green was the top eight. Like, would that team make the playoffs now? Honestly, would that is that an eight seed? Paul George was that good, um, but he still had his playoff stuff, you know, which I think he's, I don't know if it's cured, but. Is that team better than the 2023 Bulls? I don't think so. Is that team so. better than the Hawks? Talent-wise, one through eight. No, Hansbro, Hansbro, like, I mean, those guys weren't rotation guys. Here's who the Knicks had. These are by, by minutes in that playoff series. Carmelo, J.R. Smith, Raymond Felton, Amon Shumpert, pretty washed up Kenya Martin, about to be washed up Tyson Chandler, Chris Copeland, Pablo Prigioni, and the ghost of Amari Stoudemire. That was their top nine that year, 2013. I think they won like 50 plus games that year. I mean, talk about a talent swoon. And that's why one of the reasons basketball is so fun this year, like every team is entertaining guys. Like you take like the Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon's like what, the sixth man of the Celtics? Malcolm Brogdon would be the second best guy in that Knicks team. He really would, right? If you took 23 Malcolm Brogdon and put him in 2013, he's the second best Nick. I agree with you. Thank you. Um, I think the Knicks are done, but I've been wrong for five straight days on okay, everything. But, I was wrong about the Nuggets. I was wrong about the Sixers today. I was wrong last night. I thought the Warriors would win game three. The Lakers would win game four. Um, I am I am on a slump of figuring out what's going to happen. I just, to me, I think it's too hard for the Knicks to score. And I think the Heat are better coached. And I think they've just figured them out. And if they lose, it'll be because they just miss all their threes, the Heat. If it's like one of those, they're eight for 45 from three, something like that. Otherwise, they're going to beat them. I mean, look, the only game they got here is the one Butler didn't play. So who knows what the series would and actually be. They almost didn't be. get that. I know. I know. And the only real difference I thought with that one was, okay, this is why one of those special max contract ball in his hands just creates something out of nothing. Like the Heat had no one. He had at that point, like, what are they going to do? And, you know, I think we're also seeing some of the limitations with Bam offensively in some of the big spots. Like, he could have a nice 20 point game and, and beating people up at the rim or getting some lobs and that kind of stuff. But I don't know that you can pencil him in. We're like, hey, can you carry us at another level offensively? Um, and that, that hasn't been the case for him in these playoffs. But, like, I've started to think all sorts of things, like, oh, the quickly thing. And he's doubtful for tomorrow, by the way. So who knows what's going to happen there? But I started doing like a list of all the bad Knicks thoughts I had that were, again, the the Randall part of it I thought was fair. But I was like, oh, maybe this is the small guard rule that teams have in the playoffs. Like, hey, that guard's awesome. He's too small for us in the playoffs. Is that fair for Brunson? Probably not. Uh, Josh Hart, maybe this is why he's on a million teams already. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that doesn't seem fair because like I think I like Josh Hart, you know? He does seem a little less excited to shoot threes these days. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, is this why the Mitchell Robinson thing, if you're covering the Knicks locally, we are like, what's going to happen with this guy, despite the fact he looked like a Hall of Famer against the Cavs? You know, so like during the Cleveland series, you're going Mitchell Robinson and Hardenstein. You're like, what a great two-headed monster. They both yeah. beat everybody up. And then you're like, how are you guys not altering the game on the glass against Miami? Like they don't even have a, I mean, Zeller's their backup big. And I it's, I, I really, Zeller looks pretty good in this series. Like, yeah, he actually I, what, does what look took, okay. What took sixty games for him to get signed? I, you know, what else I like about? I know we keep talking about Kevin Love, and it's become a running joke. But 
Weird. I do like. Well, I do like that. There's shades of like the, you know, the much older version of the Minnesota Kevin Love that was like one of my favorite players in the league. They have him around the basket a little bit more. They're like taking advantage of his outlet passes. Fuck that whole. I just wish he never went to Cleveland. I wish we could just do Love's career over again and he could just be on, have a different arc, never play in those LeBron teams and just been this power forward that just grabbed 14 rebounds a game and threw outlets and made some threes. And maybe he was even on bad teams, like a Vucevic type. But I just, I really like watching I, him throwing outlets. I think was one of, one of my single favorite, like bizarre NBA skills. He's the best at it. The only one that's close to him is Jokic. That's it. They're like residing in a world on their own. I didn't think I saw him throw an outlet pass for five years. Did you? He was just like this dude trapped in the corner, you know, just like fucking Sam, Sam Hauser. And this guy has like really unique skills that, that Miami was like, oh, cool. This guy can do this and he can do this. And they've like rejuvenated him. He's like a playoff guy. I, uh, I love Is that too much. No, 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 no. You know what you just came up with? Sounds like a summer segment. Career do-overs. Rank them. Oh, Love's way up there for me. I wish he never got, wish he never got traded. Or if he'd been traded, like gotten traded to like the, you know, the Clippers or that. Remember there was that Warriors trade for a while. It was like Clay and David Lee. Although that would have broken up Clay and Curry. But there were so many more fun places for him to go. And he just became like kind of the whipping boy of that Cavs team the entire time he was there. And seemed to almost have Stockholm syndrome with LeBron. Like LeBron, he would do those tweets at him and um, he was just constantly trying to win his approval. And then he started that to have the issues fit off out the tweet? court. Time to fit yeah. out or like I'm right. not waiting. What? God, that was I just, I just think Love is so talented. It's just a bummer. Sometimes guys end up on the wrong team. Like Westbrook was on the wrong team for two years, the Lakers and goes to the Clippers and it's like, whoa, look at Westbrook. Um, I think the Knicks are done. By the way, with the playoff rankings, which we kind of abandoned after we started doing it. I have one um, one sliver of Miami that I have to mention Caleb Martin. Oh, go. And how much, how much I love watching Caleb Martin play. And I do think this is the thing. You know, look, it's real easy to play the storyline after the fact. Um, I would have loved to see what would have happened against Milwaukee if Giannis didn't miss half the minutes of that series. I don't think Miami wins that series still, despite yeah. the zombie heat that you love so much, reviving everything and maybe playing for a chance to be in the NBA Finals. That's the way it feels today. But uh, Caleb Martin minutes always seem like they're a good thing. And it's it's just funny to me that like the last year he was in Charlotte, they played his brother more than they played him. It's marginal. Mm. But it's like, if you're Charlotte, you should be like, wait, did we confuse him? Playoff guy. <laughs> you think they had the wrong Martin? They're like, yeah, Martin's leaving. It's like, yeah, that's fine. They didn't realize. Um, actually, let's take a break and then we'll hit the uh, other stuff I want to hit. So playoff rankings, just quickly, because I don't know if you ever did your top 10. Best playoff players right now. This is just what I jotted down. Jokic, Curry, Butler, Booker, Tatum, Durant, AD. Slight drop off, LeBron, Embiid, Harden. And that was my top 10. And the Hard. reason I didn't have Embiid in that top seven is just, I just don't trust him physically for three straight rounds. Even today, there were multiple times when it just looked like he was running out of gas, when he just looked like he was, his tank was empty. He was looked like he might get hurt. Uh, and Harden's too up and down. And LeBron, who we talked about extensively in part one, is in the 20th year of his career. Okay, but I... So we're not doing these. 
we're not ranking the tiers here. We're not going to the gimmicks. You're just going one through 10. I had one through 10, but it, I have a top seven and then a drop off and then LeBron and Beaton Harden. So and what you were your top seven? Jokic, Curry, Butler, Booker, Tatum, Durant. And AD, you could talk me into putting him in the second tier because he's so unreliable. But I still feel like even, even if he's half asleep, his teams are still afraid of his shot blocking. They, they just are. And even if he's in a coma, they're still thinking about him when they're driving him to the basket. And I think that matters. I mean, this is all silly, right? Which we understand. But I feel like there's been a gap so far that stops after the five guys. And that's Jokic, Curry, um, Booker. Butler, and I think you still put KD in there. Um, so you'd put KD over Tatum? I would. Yeah, because I wasn't sure about that one. I'm I'm certainly not. I had Tatum a notch over KD, but I'm not going to defend it. And, if and you could probably talk me out of it if, if I had one beer. <laughs> <laughs> if we were tiering it, I would, I would stop this tier at five. Yeah. But since you're ranking, like I kind of went through like different tiers. Of tier's it. fine. I I tiered it too. So your tier is five. My tier is seven. Yeah. And then it drops to I have a three person tier. And then the tier I have after LeBron and Beaton Harden drops again. And I have Jalen. I have Bam. I have Murray. I have Draymond, Brunson, and Clay. Those six. You wouldn't put Jalen on a second tier with Tatum and Bead, AD. LeBron, I wouldn't, Jamal I wouldn't Murray. because of stuff like today where he took like zero shots in the overtime and I can't tell if he's an afterthought or what's going on with him. I also think he's incredibly sloppy with the ball. And ever since uh, the great Jackie McMullen pointed this out to me like four months ago, I can't unsee it. You didn't he see it against has, the Heat or Warriors last year? No, no, it's, it's not that. It's There's different turnovers and just like, the most frustrating dopey turnovers where you're just dribbling and you just the ball hits your foot and just rolls to the other team and stuff like it just seems like he has two a game um and i i don't understand this is a guy who i think is one of the best 15 guys in the league i don't understand why he doesn't want to be more involved at the end of these games like why is he an afterthought in the last three minutes of regulation and the entire overtime today. Why is it Marcus Smart and Tatum? Where's okay, but Smart, Brown? Smart was an outlet to the, the two drives, right? So Smart was kind of an afterthought in those two plays. But he had the ball and he was doing dribble penetration stuff. And I'm talking those just, two plays. I'm talking the missed three in regulation and I'm talking the one that didn't count at the end of overtime. Why so isn't it, there play at the end of these games, Tatum and Brown, like a high screen? I guess they feel like they need Jalen for the spacing, but Jalen's just in the corner for pretty much all of these crunch time plays, which I don't understand. Well, it also could be his handle. Which which is why I have him at the top of the third tier. I just think the production's enough to put him in the second tier with guys. Like, if you're putting Harden in a second it's tier, fair. then... No, I... Yeah, but I mean, Harden had... He single-handedly won two of the four games in this series. You know... That's right. Jalen's a tough call. So is Jamal Murray. Cause I think Harden's a tough call. You know, like if you show up to work and have a great day, it's like yeah. well, you, you didn't even call in sick and no-showed on Tuesday and Thursday and you smell like rumplements. You know? But this goes Not back saying to this, Harden does, but... <laughs> this goes back to the Suns theme. 
Booker and Durant. I had Booker four and Durant six out of all the playoff players we have left. So if their supporting cast can just be okay, maybe that is enough for them to come back. I do wonder, like, if you're the Lakers, let's say you're the Lakers, you think you're going to beat Golden State, which I think if I had to bet my life, I would probably bet on the Lakers, but I don't, I think either team could win that series. But if you're the Lakers, who would you rather play, Phoenix or Denver? Uh, I'd probably rather play Denver. I think I would too if I'm the Lakers. If I'm the Warriors, I think I'd rather play Phoenix. The De the Lakers can look at the Jokic thing and just say, we have big Davis and LeBron and we, we have big bodies. We can at least make it hard on him. And, um, Wenyan Gabriel, you think that's a Wenyan series possibly? Probably get some minutes. I mean, uh, I have, look, everybody's going to look bad against Jokic first. So it's not like, oh, hey, I mean, the only two guys that I've seen all season long, Plumlee looked like somebody said, hey, we're going to kill one of the other brothers if you don't defend like crazy against Jokic. <laughs> And then uh, I saw Miles Turner in a regular season game where I thought it was one of the best I've ever seen defending. I saw him at the golf course on Friday and I almost went up to comment on how well he played him defensively. And I was like, you know what? Fuck off, Rosillo. Just don't say that. He probably would have appreciated it, but I thought, you know what? Now's not the time. All right. Last thing we have on the list. Would you have said that to Miles Turner? I wouldn't say anything to anybody who's six foot 10 and higher. Yeah, but it was a compliment. Although he might have said, hey, are you the guy that said my trade value around the league shit for like a year and a half? It was. I was just being honest. Yeah. Just, just stating facts, bro. 100. Summer movement watch. Oh, no. Windhorse had that weird... Windhorse, yes, anytime he, he says anything, I just... I stand at attention because Windhorse... Speaking to what we talked about in uh in the first part of this podcast, Winhorst is not a I'm gonna throw shit out there just to see what the reaction is. I don't think anyone, with the possible exception of Zach Lowe, hates getting aggregated more than Winhorst. He's very careful and very deliberate. So if you put something out there, there's real shit behind it. And he talked about how the Knicks are minor in this Yana situation. I've heard some I never know what to believe when, especially when it's a prize like Giannis and teams, it's in their vested interest to get stuff out there and tell people like you and me, hey man, here in Giannis, or like, uh, you just never know what to believe. With that said, he does only have two years left on his deal. And if you're going to trade somebody like that and cash in on the asset, if you feel like he's leaving, it's better to do that with a year and a half left than it is to just ride it out and then the guy leaves. What's interesting, the Knicks don't have enough to trade for him. The teams that have the most assets are the Pelicans and Utah and OKC, three teams that make no sense whatsoever for him. You would say Miami or Dallas or the Lakers would be the, the traditional teams that make the most sense. Dallas, he could play with Luka. Miami and the Lakers for obvious reasons, but none of those teams can trade anything for him. So I feel like this is going to become a summer story, but there's no story. And I think the teams want there to be a story. But if I'm Milwaukee, why would I trade Giannis? I'm going to ride out these next two years, hope he's going to be happy. 
there's no reason to think he's not going to be happy. We rarely see the foreign guys, you know, kind of demand trades. That's a point you've always made on these pods. The history and, says doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but yeah, so far, maybe it'll happen at some right. point. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like it's going to be a story. And I guess the question for you, Rosillo, is: Is there a little smoke here, or is just just something that the teams are trying to get going because they want their they want us to think there's smoke? Well, Windhorse is definitely a first round pick for trust, right? Yes, I feel like Lottery after the pick. go right after the Gobert stuff. I mean, if you go back COVID historically, if we'd had Windhorse say, hey, hearing some things out of China, <laughs> people may have taken it more seriously in the beginning, right. you know, um, if, if we needed updates on procedure, like, you know, outside the six feet, not sure, not sure it really does anything. Windhorse might, is like, not sure about right, mass. Right. Like, seriously, the government could hire Windhorse being like, look, I'm hearing things about a 10th planet. I know you yeah. didn't take it seriously when it was on another news outlet, but I, here's what I'm hearing about this extra planet. Uh, I think people would listen to those stories more closely. So uh, it doesn't come out of nowhere. I don't know anything. Uh, he knows far better than I do. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of this because it always feels like, you know, I mean, how many years the Miami stuff? That's why the LeBron thing was so funny because all those other years, it's like, oh, Miami, they're clearing the decks. They're clearing. They're going to get they're going to get this guy. And then they never got him. And then they ended up getting um you know, that group together and, and winning a couple of titles. So it actually did work, but they were, they're always a team. New York's always all these New York guys that they were supposed to get from Kentucky and why um, Johnny Bryant's the assistant. And he was like, Oh, they're going to, you know, down the road, Booker and cat and Mitchell, all these guys are going to want to go there. And it's like, all right, well that didn't, you know, more often than not, a lot of this planning leads to nothing. So I don't know. I know far less than one horse does. So let me just admit that the part about the value it's irrelevant to Milwaukee. Because they're never going to do that. They're never going to go, hey, you know what? There is a little smoke. He's making some hints, even if you were doing these things, which I don't know that he is. I doubt he is at this stage. Um, you're not going to, you're going to sell, you're going to sell him on rebuilding it around him. Okay. And based on how he's carried himself, I think that's a much safer bet with him and his personality in the front office. So like what he's worth and the timing of it all, I still think is so like irrelevant that I, I don't even know that I would sit here and pretend trade a guy that I, they would never want to trade. There's the team. I deliberately didn't mention them. Okay, I love it. What do you got? Saruti, can you come back? Uh-oh. Aiton goes to Orlando say, in a three-way. <laughs> we always say Miami when we talk about the Florida team and the no state tax thing, right? Well, what about the Orlando Magic? They're going to have, what are your picks going to be this year, Severity? They have their own pick and they've got the Bulls pick, which is top four protect, protected. So they're likely two lottery picks. So realistically, it could be like number four and number eight. Yeah, number five and I think it's, 11, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you, you could offer them two first. Paolo, I think, has to be in the trade. He has to be. Sorry. You're getting Giannis fair. back. It's Paolo's fair. in yeah. the trade. <laughs> Not going to argue. Rosella, what else needs to be in the trade? Let's say it's Paolo, number four, and number 10. And I'm trying well, to get Giannis. Four. It can't be four. It can be five. 
Well, let's say in Orlando, it's Orlando's pick yeah, it's and then the pick. Bulls pick. So it's like four, oh, oh, ten, right. something yeah. like that. Oh, sorry, my bad. Um, Taylor, Han- Taylor Hendricks and Paolo. Would you give that to Isaac? <laughs> no, I did. I did. Not How many Taylor more Hendricks first round picks are in that trade? What if it's like four first round picks plus Paolo plus five plus eight? Like, at what point does Milwaukee have to have a meeting? They don't. They can't. Because Milwaukee lose never trade. has a meeting. They just no. hang up. No, they, they, there's no trade. There's no trade. It doesn't exist. There's no, like, fucking put on all the swaps, all the shit you want to do, man. You can have it all. You couldn't trade the Magic's entire roster for Giannis. I think I agree with Rosillo, but I'm, I'm, there's 10% of me that feels like I would still, as a responsible owner, have to have a meeting with my staff just to make sure. I still would have to, I would still have to whiteboard it out and really take a look at it and be like, all right, guys. So we have no picks. We have so you'd be turning in at 40 million bucks next year. You own the bucks. You're turning to John Horse going like, and hey, Fultz was sneaky way better in the second half, right? <laughs> <laughs> Middleton, who's for, I think like 43 million this year. What What is his option here? He's going to opt in. Be crazy not to. It's over 40. They still have R.J. Hampton. I, he kind of, he end to end. No, no. <laughs> no, no I know they don't. I'm playing Bill, the owner of the Bucks, asking about Holiday has been, Holiday's like 33. Lopez, I think they bring back, obviously. But other than that, like, I don't know. So the move for the Bucks is to hire a coach that Giannis is super excited about and can't wait to play for. And then you nip in the bud any sort of, any insinuation that he might be unhappy. But my point is, if we're going to talk about Giannis trades and possible teams, he's not going to go to OKC and he's not going to, like, he's not doing any of those teams. But Orlando becomes kind of interesting if he's like, I want out. Gets and the only reason his, I bring this Euro up brethren, is... Franz Wagner, just, just two elite Euros on one team. I love that. Giannis, Franz, Jalen Suggs, it might be enough. Um, the only reason I mention this is because, Rosello, when we were talking about the pod today, what did you say to me about player movement this summer? You said there's always two guys we never expect. We You're never right. saw coming. We can't believe that they're suddenly available. And that list isn't as long as it usually would be this year. I'm sure Trey Young's on it, Towns is on it, maybe even Jalen Brown is on it for all we know. But uh, for the surprise, I can't believe that guy's available. Giannis is at least, he's got to be mentioned, right? If we had to do a draft, right, 10 players each of who's the surprise, because you're right. Like, I feel like I bait and switch Bill a little bit just so the audience can understand. He called me this morning. We were going over some thoughts. I like our new prep routine. And then I go, you know, I always love reminding the audience that, you know, just when it gets quiet, like there's two things that are going to happen this summer, at least with players. You're like, oh, my God, like it happens. Somebody wants out and then it's on and I'm taping some episode with Bill in like the beginning of August. Right. Like when Hart, like Harden deciding suddenly that he didn't like Brooklyn anymore. Yeah. Right. Or There's, when he signed off on uh, like when when everybody geared up with Steven Silas for that year with Houston. Yeah. And it's like, wait, oh, yeah. what's going on? Westbrook's gone now. And then Harden was like, I, I too chose to leave. So I, I, I brought it up to Bill. And then I kind of, as we were talking it out, we talked about the honest stuff a little bit. And then I was like, yeah, but the problem is like, I don't really have any of the surprises. So if you have the surprise draft, fine. As far as like the guys that get mentioned all the time, I think it's still too new for Minnesota to do anything drastic. Like that feels like 
at the earliest a deadline thing if things weren't really working out. I think the Trey thing is a full season with Quinn Snyder, you know, and I think in a weird way, Trey probably feels pretty good about himself. Like, I think that's another thing we always have to gauge. Like, if you look at Luca going into this year, hopefully the disappointment of this season stings him in an offseason in a way that it hasn't stung him yet before because he's coming off last year. He's feeling like, hey, Western Conference Finals, like, we're good. It's like, yeah, but you didn't come into this year as a top four team. And that's what that, yeah. that's what that finish pretends to tell you. But the reality is any of us that watch any of this stuff, none of us were like, hey, Dallas is one of the four best teams in the NBA in a weird, you know, light top of the season. So I think Trey having some of those games for Atlanta, like he's probably like, I'm good. I'm good. I just need DeAndre Hunter to, to be this a couple more nights. I need John Collins to hit threes like this. I need Clint to do this more often, all these different things. So the guys that are mentioned is like, oh, I wonder what the market would be for this. And then on top of this, the part that's always ignored is, okay, what is the actual trade? And if you told the fan base what you'd be getting back for the disgruntled dude that it may be not even be disgruntled yet, <laughs> right. you could be like, wait, this is all we're getting? He's so, pre-gruntled. Yes, right. If he's pre-gruntled and you don't need to trade him, I don't think people like the packages that are coming back that much. And I think the Quinn thing, at least for Trey's, uh, I'd be shocked if they didn't start Zion's the season. On, with him. Zion's on this list, but it wouldn't be that much of a surprise. And you know, Embiid, if the if the Philly thing ends terribly and Harden goes to Houston, all of a sudden it's him and Tyrese Maxey can't be ruled out. I I also can't rule out Jalen Brown. And then Davis, who knows? What if the Lakers flame out and Davis becomes the fall guy? Um, and Dame, I guess, would be the other one. Who I don't even think Dame would be that much of a surprise. But if Dame you know, let's say Portland gets like the third pick in the draft, you know, and they can get one of those three guys. Dame's like, cool, I'm 34. Who do you want I, to be available, Saruti? Who are you looking at at the Magic? Who are you scouting? I just feel like I, I have this like nightmare that it's going to be Zach Levine. <laughs> it's, it's literally <laughs> terrifying to me because there's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's just be relevant. Let's, let's be better. Let's get a guy. Because I mean, in on paper, it's like, yeah, all right. Do they need a guy who could you know, step up and take shots and hit threes. Sure. But I wouldn't, I just, that's not, I'd shoot higher than that. I'd shoot higher than that. As I, I turned down your Donovan Mitchell trade last summer. You did. I don't know if you regret that or not. Probably what not. was it? I don't think I do right now. Maybe in a couple of years when they just flame out and don't get anybody, but I, I'm good with the organic build. I'm good with the organic. It was like I, the I Bulls pick. What was it? It was Suggs. It was the Bulls pick. It was their pick this year and like two other firsts, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that was what we made up. Would yeah. you do Franz? You would you do Franz for marketing right now, Surdy? <laughs> <laughs> I would not. I would not. I love my guy Larry, but no, I would not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so Franz is untouchable in a Giannis trade, right? Even straight up. That's why I was kind of surprised that, like, you know, I, I understand why Milwaukee would want to get Paulo because he's the better asset. Hey, my connection's that. going bad, guys. I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what, what? I'm trying to be humble here. What's enticing to Giannis? Well, you can't. It's too tech? late. You hesitated on a Franz inclusion to do a Giannis deal. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just asking what... What would Giannis like? What does he get out of that other than state tax? I, it, that Orlando it doesn't make sense for him. They're not. What if he loves Disney? Yeah, he loves Disneyland. And he does seem like a happy guy. Yeah, Disney yeah. World is it land or world? There, I can't remember. It's world. that's world. Yeah, yeah, Disney yeah. World. He loves Disney World. Six Florida, times. no state taxes. Gets a little Bigger condo city. in celebration. Um, 
Wait, I had one more thing on this. Oh, can I throw one more thing I wrote down for uh, you guys before we go? New theory for the NBA and the NHL. The one seeds get five of seven games at home. Against the eight seeds. You really have to beat the one seed. Like you, you have to... You only get two home games in the round one. I'm still mad about the Bruins series. I, That's I just can believe. Yeah, I, I can't believe that you're doing this after the Bruins lost in the first round. I, well, and the Bucks lost too. And I'm just like, what's the point of a one seed anymore? It seems like the easiest thing ever for a one seed to lose. So what are we doing wrong? Why aren't we rewarding the one seed better? I don't hate it in hockey because it's, it's hockey's so random all the time. Like, why not just like reward the regular season a little bit more when there's just chaos in the playoffs? I'm not trying to help out any one seeds in the NBA. If you can't beat an eight seed and you're a one seed in the NBA, that's on you, man. I'm not trying to help you out anymore. Two, two, three. You don't like it, Rosillo? Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Because you're only doing this because the Bruins. And the Bucks. Like the Heat, they fucking lost a playing game, what, won a hey, second playing game, and then. What will beat- be lost historically is Giannis played half the minutes of this series. No one's going to remember that in a couple of years because you're going to go, man, another 1-8. Like, how'd that happen? And, like, I'm not telling you it was awesome when he was back for those other games that they blew on top of everything else. I will, to my death, if Giannis had played throughout every minute, Milwaukee gets through that series. I would say if you want to do something that helps the one seed, I like the idea of them being able to pick their opponent. Yeah. The top, mm. the top one, one through three gets to pick, and then four just plays whoever's left over. I think that'd be awesome. I think it'd be awesome television. I mean, if the college football playoff rankings can get ratings, if that can pull a number, why not go ahead and do that? Um, I'm I'm kind of so in a the phase. Bucks sort of pick Brooklyn. Yeah, I think I. You know, look here's the deal though. <laughs> it's easy to forget with Miami. They may have picked Miami. They may have picked no. Miami. Going like this team I can't score. So. Yeah, I think I think Miami. Zombie. You don't want to stay away from the zombies. I think Miami's the sixth seed in that scenario. You think Atlanta then, gets picked? You think Atlanta gets picked after Miami? I think they get. I think Atlanta go. It goes. Brooklyn's the the, the number one pick. Brooklyn's the Atl- number one. Atlanta. Right. You guys are right. And then I think does Philly pit? Does Philly want to take Miami? Would Philly rather play the Knicks? I don't even know. I mean, oh, it's, it's obviously this now, is now you guys nah, are they, nah, look they up, would take Miami. Look at some regular season stats. Yeah, they would take Miami. What happens in the West though? Denver just says we don't want to leave Colorado. We don't care. We'll play the two seed. But Denver wouldn't have taken the Lakers. No. So they probably would have taken uh they would Memphis? take Mi- <laughs> could they have picked Memphis? It would be funny if Denver's like, we'll take the two seed. We're ready for Memphis right now. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like imagine going, Oh, actually we want to play them. And then the league would be like, Are you serious? Be like, yeah, we're we're good in the West. Now Denver would have been like, which what's the team that has towns? Minnesota. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. We'll, we're good. Yep. So, yeah, that, but yeah, you're right. In the East, it would have made a bigger thing. Uh, before we go, we got to talk about Bronny picked USC, which was the worst kept secret in LA for a month. And um, I think the timing is interesting because it, LeBron has to stay in the Lakers next year because of the contract he signs. Bronny's in USC for a year. And then if Bronny could potentially, be an NBA draft pick in a year, which I'm doubtful, but if he was, LeBron could try to time it a year from now for potentially leaving the Lakers and trying to match up with Bronny if that's what he wants to do. But I that was one of the reasons I always thought he was going to go to USC. Um, this was a weird story 
because he was a top 25 recruit and there were only three teams after him and it really only seemed like two even knew what he was thinking. And he picked like three, four days after the signing deadline. But yet everybody knew he was going to USC. I didn't understand any of it, but I, I care about the LA high school scene more than you, Rosillo. What did you, what did you think just kind of watching this whole thing unfold? Well, you knew it was always going to be a Nike school. Um, that wasn't a hard one to figure out. Uh, I really defer to you on this one because you know way more about L.A. high school hoops than I do. So uh, I'll add some thoughts after you fill in more of the gaps. He definitely didn't have a good high school season. But I also... You what know, do you I mean wanna, by that? The team or him? The team ability? didn't. The team, the team, I think, went six and eight in their last 14 games. They, The two best teams in L.A. were Notre Dame and Harvard-Westlake and then Centennial, which is outside of L.A. And they never beat any of those teams. And then the Notre Dame had Caleb Foster, who was, I think, a top 20 guy who's going to Duke. Centennial had a guy, Jared McCain, who's also going to Duke, who I think is like in the top 15. And then Harbor Westlake's point guard, Trent Perry, who's a junior, um, who's also really good. And all those guys had better high school years than Bronny did. And I don't, I don't really know what that means because apparently in the AAU and in the camps and stuff, Bronny shows really well. So it's, it's hard to separate. Like, what's the hype is? Should the high school season even matter? I kind of feel like the high school season should matter, especially if you're playing in a competitive city. And it didn't seem like he had a good high school season. And his team didn't either. His team really kind of petered out as the year went along. They were one of the favorites. Um, and now it doesn't matter. Maybe it shouldn't. I'll admit I haven't watched him enough because, you know, he's not in the draft until next year. Um, from what I've seen, I thought he got better this year. Just some of the just watching him move around a Three little point bit. Three-point shooting got definitely better. No question. Yeah, and I thought he was a little... He's not like some crazy jump out of the... He's not, you know, look, nobody's LeBron, right? But um, I <laughs> I thought he improved. I thought he improved physically. I thought he improved movement thing. I know that we've talked about this in the past. It was kind of like, oh, you know, I, I don't know how much of a rush I am to criticize a high school player. But the problem is, like, we do it with everybody else. We do it literally yeah. that everybody else is getting ready for the draft. Nobody was holding back on one Manyama, although there wasn't really much to criticize there. So this is part of the deal. Like when you're on the radar and you're projected to be a lottery pick like ESPN.com had with Bronny James in an article that came out like two months ago, which was insane because I don't know that they've ever done a lottery article, but they clearly did it because of the clicks for LeBron's kid. And then they put him in the lottery on top of everything else. And I had multiple teams reach out to me because, again, they forget where I work. And they were like, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? And I was like, what? What do you? Yeah, I was like, I don't. One, I don't work there. I didn't write it, and I was like, look, just you gotta understand how business works. Like, just throw them at yeah, the end of the that's lottery, clicks. right? And that's gonna get clicks, even if there was not one team. There wasn't one team that was like, yeah, good call. They were like mad about it because they're like, he's not that player. He doesn't project to be that player. He'd have to get a lot better real quick uh, in a freshman year, wherever he goes, to be on that radar. Then you enter the LeBron part of this, and this is the thing that I don't, I can't, I know it, but I can't understand it. When LeBron started complimenting Presti and all of this stuff, like at the All Star Game two years ago, it was pretty clear he was doing that because he thought like if he was really complimentary of Presti, a team that has a million draft picks, that maybe Presti be sitting around going like, "Man, I'm on the fence about this dude, but I'll take him at 28 because LeBron was really nice about me two and a half years ago." If you know yeah. anything about Presti, that is the opposite of the way that he would work. But I do think that LeBron thought you know a little little chessboard stuff here. Or like down the road. So then you're thinking, okay, well, if I get his, if I take his son higher than he should go, that means I get LeBron. 
okay, in 24-25 season? His like, year what 22. You, right. What are you actually getting? And I'd even offer this. Would LeBron actually leave a situation? Say the Lakers figure out a way to Laker this thing. You know what I mean? Like land on somebody. You're like, oh, here we go again. They found a way to get somebody in there. And LeBron felt like he had one more season at a championship window. Would he be in a hurry then to join up with the Sun? Or is he hinting at the teams that he would come play for them? And that's the motivation to take him. And then LeBron Shabazz Napier is you. And it's like, maybe I'll sign with you. And then plays with his son when he doesn't even want to play anymore. So there's a lot of moving parts where I think history tells us we have no idea what's going to happen. But as far as the player, that article on .com about him being a lottery pick in 2024, there wasn't one NBA, not that I talked to every team, but there wasn't one team that was like, yeah, I could see that. They were like, what are you guys doing over there? I was like, again, not my department. USC seems like a decent choice for him. They have Collier, who is one of the best kids in the class, who's also coming in in that year. But I, I do think there's a misconception of what kind of player is because I, I like LA high school basketball and I watched a lot of games. And my son goes to Harvard Westlake, so I was really invested in their season. And he is like a Davion Mitchell type of player. That's that would be like if you were asking me, what's the best case scenario from from what I've seen so far, and he owes his chance to get better. Um, really good defensive player, fun to play with, good three-point shooter, really good three-point shooter, actually, can shoot him, come on off pick, stuff like that, but he's not a beat-people-off-the-dribble kind of offensive player. He's just not. So he would be, you know, in my mind, in the NBA, at least from what I've seen so far, a really awesome role player. And he's 6'2", right? But I don't think that's right? how this is being sold. He's 6'2", 200, but he's, 600 he's strong. Feet. He's fast for 600 pounds. Yeah, uh, uh, 600 would be, would be big. Yeah. He's 6'2", 200, but he's 6'2", which, you know, you go down the list of NBA guys who are 6'2", who aren't, you know, point guards, which I don't think he is. I think he's an off guard. Um, and there are guys who have succeeded in that, but they've been, they've more been on that Mitchell kind of mountain thing. So either there's one more level he has to go offensively, or that's kind of what the, what the ceiling is. And that's why this college thing is going to be so fascinating. What, what's it going to look like at the next level? That team has a lot of guards. Collier is going to have the ball a lot. Um, I'm just really, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating story on top of like LeBron being a free agent after the year. That's why, so are, you, will see. are you sure? Are you sure he's one and done too though? Like couldn't, couldn't he stay for two years? I don't think and he then, should be. Yeah. What if he has an, what if he, there's two things in my head. Like if he has, if he has an average year at USC, and he wants to stay, and LeBron still feels like maybe he can compete for a title. Maybe he reads up with the Lakers again. I don't know. Maybe they get something figured out, and they just kind of push the Bronny thing off for a year, but then you're getting an even more diminished LeBron if you're going to draft his son in a year. Um, or does he just come out no matter what after his first year, and the Lakers just pick him with their second-round pick? Like I, I, I think there's like a couple scenarios where that could happen because I don't know. Like I just don't what if there's just no team that wants to take him in the first round? Like LeBron's going to know that his team's his team clutch is going to know that his son's going to get embarrassed and not go in the first round. So what do they tell him? The LA times, the all-star team for the hoops for 2023 was, uh, Marcus Adams from Narbonne, Jason Crow, Linwood. I never saw those kids. Brady Dunlap, who's the Harvard Westlake kid who's six, eight, who's going to St. John's Caleb Foster. The kid I mentioned was six, five, Went to Duke, uh, had 33 in the state final, was fucking awesome, and beat Sierra Canyon a bunch of times the last couple of years. 
the there's a St. John Bosco kid. Aaron McBride from Corona Cent, uh, Centennial is going to LMU, 6'7". Jared McCain, I mentioned, from Centennial, 6'2". He's also going to Duke. Trent Perry is the junior at Harbor-Westlake. There's another junior from San Juan Capistrano. And then Dusty Stromer, who went to Notre Dame, 6'6". Gonzaga, great shooter. So there's two like great like swingman shooters that are coming in. But Bronny didn't make the LA, the LA Times all, all-star team, which is kind of crazy because he was like, I think he's like the 19th top 100 king. So I just, I'm really interested to see how it plays out with him because I, he's clearly talented, but I I can't get past, like he did not have an awesome high school year. And, the, and for some reason that doesn't seem to matter. And it feels like it should a little bit, right? Well, he's in a tough spot, man. Like this is the part where I actually have sympathy for him. You know, and I know everybody can, it's weird how like success is a turnoff now, but you know, his father busts his ass. He sets up this great life for everyone in his immediate family. Like this is a true American story here. This is a this, yeah. this is an incredible story about what this family's been able to do here. But there's going to be a lot of people tuning in, going like, "Wait, what?" And then the weird thing about does he stay or does he go? You'd think the agents would have the line on that, but they don't always know. They don't always know. Right. There's plenty of teams that don't love Clutch, just like any agency that you know, may not be in the business of wanting to do any favors. And there may be some teams that are in the business of wanting to do some favors too, because that happens as well. So the longer you stay in college, usually the worse your draft stock is. And I I don't know, I don't know how weird, I don't know if that's going to be a celebrated thing if he's on a team with his father and he doesn't look like a first rounder. And look, he can still be a second rounder. He Look, there's plenty of undrafted free agents. There's Miami's loaded with them. But it, I have no idea on how that will play years from now if they end up on the same team. Right. And, and will it be a celebrated thing or will he be at a level as a player where people are upset about it? I don't know. And like, what I, if the I, best no thing idea. for him, what if the best thing for him as a player is to stay in college three years and really develop? Like somebody like Mitchell, how old was he by the time he had that breakout year in Baylor? Wasn't he like, because he had transferred too. Wasn't he like 22 at that point? Sometimes this is, I think it's really hard to come in the league. Rarely does the guy who sticks around that much later then it was like, oh, you know, he yeah, got way but, better and now he's he's a much better pro because of it. Because the other argument is, hey, get him in the NBA, work on being let a him professional learn. basketball player instead of pretending you're still in school. Um, you know, look, I'm not saying that's the same for every athlete, so I shouldn't say pretend, but you get my point where you're like this hybrid thing where you still have responsibilities that may be getting in the way of what you're really supposed to be doing at an earlier age. You know, like if I had a kid who was, it was really good and was like a borderline first rounder, I wouldn't be like, go back to work on your handle. <laughs> right. Like you're, you're leaving. <laughs> here's, I think, a, here's a laptop. You can take some courses online. <laughs> the reasons the things in his favor is he's been in the spotlight for a while. By all accounts, yep. he's a great kid. Everybody loves him and like really handles himself like a pro and has always been in the spotlight. And just, I think that that could go either way. And for him, it seems like it's been a good thing. So he's not going to have any fear at the next level. Um, and I, I think, you know, having your dad be one of the great players of all time, but also like a basketball genius and being able to help you in these different ways with what you're doing with your teammate, that's got to be an asset. I think it's gonna be really fascinating to watch, but it'll be, you know, th- it's gonna be totally different because at USC next year, with the with 
how people treat college basketball. He's just going to be dissected differently, you know, and there's not going to be a lot of free passes. You don't get like, there's no AU anymore. There's no summer camp anymore. It's like all about what happens during the college basketball season. And that's it. Uh, that's how you're measured. I do think Andy Anfield's perfect for this though. Like perfect personality for it. Like he's not going to be this coach. He's like, I want to old school this guy and prove some fucking point that I've been here. I don't care who you are. I don't care who your dad is. Like to me, Enfield right. is perfect because he already gets all of it. He's a mover and, and a shaker. He yeah. It's it. just like, I'm not, I'm not out here to prove some point. I'm going to coach you well. I'm going to coach you hard. You know, they're putting pros in the league. And I, you know, like, <laughs> I just can't imagine him, his his son with with some other guys that would go out of their way, like Hardo college basketball coach to like prove some kind of point about this. And I think Andy's like the perfect, perfect personality for this. You're going to love Caleb Foster. The kid is on my Duke. Six five and could beat people either hand. He's just just a really good basketball player. The LA basketball scene is awesome this year. Uh all right, we're gonna wrap it up. Saruti's barely awake. He's just dreaming of Giannis. <laughs> we're gonna say goodbye to him. Thank you to Saruti. Thank you to Kyle Crate for producing. Thanks to you, Rosillo. It was good to see you. Uh no thanks to the Boston Celtics. I'm too old for uh games like this. You know, I forgot to mention this in the pot earlier. I was talking to Chris Ryan today and he did the Philly special and he was saying how he, the tone of the special was almost like they lost even though they won. Cause it was like one of those, they won, but there was, some, it was like, whoa, there were some bad things that happened. We were lucky, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking the Celtics fans and the Sixers fans both know something's wrong with their teams. Whereas like if you're a Denver fan or you're a Phoenix fan, you're just like, I love watching this team. This is great. I can't believe we have Jokic. I can't believe we have, you know, what I, they're just all in on the teams. I think the Laker fans really enjoy this Lakers team because it's so unexpected. The Celtics Sixers fans, it's, it's like, this is like a root canal series. We're like, nobody's even that happy. I don't think the Philly fans are like, we got this. Now we're making the finals. I don't think they feel that way. And I don't feel like the Celtic fans really feel that way either. So, very strange. Any last thoughts, Rudy? No, nah, we started a Luca to Orlando rumor, and now we have a Giannis to Orlando rumor. So, our, our job's okay. done here. All right. Rosillo, good to see you. Um, I'll be back on this podcast on Tuesday. Don't forget, new rewatchables coming on Monday. I did rewatchables with David Chang. We did, uh, we did the movie Chef. So, that is coming on Monday, a movie that has grown on me a great deal over the last... You're running out of movies? No, I love that movie. You should watch it. It's really good. It's I have. Good movie. <laughs> it's really good. I stand by it. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll see you at the speed on Tuesday. <laughs>